you're looking at the UK, they've come out with new policies and new regulations to enable competition. Mm -hmm. So they came out with a framework to allow what are referred to as challenger banks. So if you and I wanted to go and start a bank, we could actually do that in the UK. So we could go wow. go over there. I mean, I'm oversimplifying a bit, it. but, but we, we could actually start a bank. You can't really do that in Canada. You'd need, you know, yeah, $100 yeah. million dollars to, to do that plus. Founded in 2017, StartWell is Toronto's independent hub for innovators to collaborate. Our podcasts relate perspectives from the world's most diverse urban population to reflect unique insights into global business, media, and culture. Okay, Cato, welcome to the StartWell podcast. Um, I'm really excited to talk about a bunch of stuff with you about the history of your company, the evolution of the company, uh, the current incarnation of it, and then the meta on the fintech world, uh, the world of banking in Canada, and why that's unique. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. And you've been in the game for a little while. I have. So first up, Cato, introduce yourself for our listeners that, that don't know your company, Loop. Yeah. Um, so my name's Cato, as you said. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Nice. Um, Loop is a cross-border banking platform. So what we do is we help companies that are based in Canada but want to expand outside of Canada so they want to build their businesses around the world do that more easily. Um, so we would eliminate the friction from managing your finances across borders, which historically has been very difficult to do. Um, so the world of banking that's existed for hundreds of years now mm -hmm. has been inherently domestic. So, you know, when you go to your bank, a Canadian bank is a Canadian bank and an American bank is an American bank. Right. Um, but what we're trying to do is change that notion to say that if you're building a business today, it's now an international business. You know, businesses mm -hmm. exist all around the world. You can sell to customers all around the world. A lot of businesses are importing products from all around the world. So why are the financial services that they use also inherently domestic? They should be international because that's the way the business is done. So we're trying to kind of recreate a lot of how financial services is shaped by making a platform that allows you to do business internationally as easy as it is to, you know, go to your local branch historically and open mm -hmm. up an account. So let's Let's paint the picture from the behind the scenes, because I think a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the functionings of banks, which really is the majority of people in the world. Yeah. Uh, we just trust that banks can do stuff <laughs> and that they won't lose our money. Yeah. Um, but let's let's paint this picture of kind of like the thing that you guys, you know, that you mentioned being focused on now, which is this kind of cross-border payments, foreign currencies, international business transactions happening under one entity. Um, what are right now the pain points with the relying on your domestic bank for these things? Yeah, a lot of domestic banks don't have the capability to easily transact internationally. So, you know, we can go go down to the foundation of, of what banks are. They're, they're effectively a place to put your money. Um, you know, so a lot of people will go and put their deposits, their, store their money with a bank, and the mm -hmm. bank will then take that money and go lend it out to borrowers. That was like the original idea behind banking. It's why banks were created and why they exist. And why they got robbed. <laughs> it's like Wild West banking. Yeah, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, but because that, that that was the original reason banks were created and why banks exist, yeah. there's a lot of additional supplementary services that people started to need. Things like credit cards, payments, you know, the ability to easily take money out of your account or transfer it to family, you know, in other countries in the world. Mm -hmm. All that stuff was built on top of the original idea behind a bank. Yeah. And so it was very much built in a way that was not 
conducive to the core of what a bank is actually supposed to do. So the, the best way to think about it is like the bank's core operation mm -hmm. is taking money in and lending it out. It's not moving money around the world. And so there's a lot of friction associated with all of those ancillary services that banks offer because at their core, they're really just designed to take money in and put it out. And so over the last you know, 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of different service providers who have been created to solve some of the gaps that exist when you're trying to move money around the world, when mm -hmm. you're trying to pay a vendor uh, you know, somewhere in Europe Africa, Asia, you know, when you're trying to send money there, there's lots of service providers who've been trying to solve for that. Or when so you're these, are, to, these are B2B service companies servicing yeah, the banks. Correct. Or servicing, you know, the end enterprise. So like if you're a large enterprise, they might sell directly to you. Mm -hmm. What's um, an example? Of of a of a large yeah, payments is provider. Swi like is Swift so an Sw example? Sort of. Swift okay. is like a, a payments network. So okay. so what Swift is is like the underlying network that allows banks to transfer money internationally. So that that it, I'm I'm glad you asked that because that is an example of a legacy and antiquated way of moving money internationally, but that's been the most widely adopted standard because all the banks use that exact standard for mm -hmm. moving money around the world. Right? So you, you can look at Swift and then there's been other people who have tried to create a slightly more efficient way to move money around the world, right? So if we go even more to like recent times in the last 10, 20 years, there's like companies like Payoneer, for example. Um, Payoneer is a, is a large company that if effectively mostly services like Amazon businesses. So a lot of Amazon businesses that would need to repatriate their money from wherever their Amazon marketplace is back into their domestic country. So let's say I'm a you know a Chinese-based Amazon seller and I'm selling into the U.S. Yeah. What they would do is they would help them collect their money in the United States, send it back to to China so that they could basically earn that revenue in that country. Okay. Which their bank, you know, no bank basically allows you to do that. Right. There's no bank that really exists that says like, okay. You're, let's go back to Canada. I'm a Canadian business, but I want a bank account in the UK so I can receive money from my customers in the UK. That does not exist in the world today. So that's why there's all these service providers mm -hmm. who have been created to kind of solve for those problems. Yeah, there's so many nuances to this, like the need for evolution, right? And hence this kind of unfortunate titled, you know, segment fintech. But fundamentally, it's really interesting because I think technology should definitely drive uh I guess the protocols around how money is, you know, stored and translated and moved around because fundamentally it's IOUs, right? Yeah. We're not actually dealing with cash moving around. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's funny, you know, you, you start talking about technology and banks. When we started getting into this space, I would I would talk And when to was it. this? When so, was this? So I, I've been in financial services for over 10 years personally, but like Loop as a platform that helps companies move money internationally uh, really started in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of the inception behind this idea of can we build an international banking platform? So it's only about a couple years old now. Um, but we, we've been in financial services since 2014 uh, as a business. As Lending Loop. As Lending Loop, exactly. So we, is that a different business? No, it's the sa same, company. same company. Yeah. Okay. So we, we've essentially diversified our offer. Um, so originally, you know, maybe, maybe I'll take a step back and tell you a little bit about my story. Step back. Yeah. <laughs> Go for um, it. You know, I grew up the son of two entrepreneurs. My parents were both business mm. owners. My, my childhood. What business were they in? Um, my mom was a caterer. So she ran a catering business. Mm -hmm. um, she also had a couple of kind of like local stores as well where she would like actually sell, sell food products. Um, so I used to work, you know, growing up in that business, I used to work, you know, 
as a waiter. I used to work in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. When I became a teenager, I started doing the books. So I've kind of like seen all wow. aspects of what it's like to run a, run a small business through yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, th- that experience really shaped my perspective, obviously on the world, but also on entrepreneurship and building a business. Yeah. And with some, with, a, with a kid who had a immense passion for technology and finance, which are really like the two things that for whatever reason, I just like was drawn to technology. I used to build computers as a kid. I like told myself how to program so I could mod video games, like that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, the thing that, you know, always struck me when I was dealing with the finances of my parents' businesses was it was still done in an incredibly manual offline way, right? You know, even like in the 2000s, the way that you would transact was still manual. And then fast forward to, you know, 2020, mm-hmm. I would have conversations with entrepreneurs kind of later on in my journey. And I would say like, you know, how are you getting paid? And they would say, well, uh, someone's sending me a check, a paper check, and I have to go into my bank branch to deposit that check, right? Like right. things like that. Or, right. you know, I'd say, how are you paying your vendors in the US? Well, I've got to use a Canadian credit card. They've got to you know, take my Canadian credit card. They're charging me 3%. My bank's charging me another 5% on top mm-hmm. of that on foreign exchange fees. So I'm losing 8% on every transaction. And you'd understand, they try to understand like why that's the case as you kind of dove deeper into this, you know, those problems. Yeah. And the reason is that, you know, banks have had no incentive to, to innovate. make that better. Yeah. Right. And I think this like back end, this is a classic kind of problem. Maybe, I, I, and we'll, we'll take a step back because you're working now in a global arena. So what's your lens on the global landscape for innovation within finance, within banking? Is Canada different than the rest of the world? We're, we're very far behind. Um, so, you know, I was talking about a little bit about how small businesses have always been underserved and that's mm-hmm. universal. I actually grew up in England, so I'm, yeah, I'm I was going to ask London. because yeah. there's lilt in your accents. <laughs> yeah. So my parents, uh, you know, the, the story I was talking about, you know, that their, their businesses were in London. Uh, I grew up there and, and the same story is true there. Yeah. So I think this paradigm of small businesses being underserved is not a uniquely Canadian issue. It, it's right. a global issue where banks have moved continuously up the stream and tried to service larger and larger businesses in, in search of profits. And so they've left the smaller people behind. Yeah. Um, and so that that's true internationally, but, but talking about Canada, we're 10, 15 years behind even the UK, for example, when it comes even to Even the UK? Yeah. Who doesn't have electricity? <laughs> who doesn't have electricity? Um, yeah, we, we're, we're quite far behind them. Um, there's several reasons for that. Yeah. Uh, it stems from the way that our banking system is constructed with basically only five players in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it being incredibly difficult for anyone to compete with them because of the regulatory setup and structure that exists within Canada. So, you know, we just to give you a couple examples, mm-hmm. um, when I started in this space, you know, like I said, 2014 was when we started Lending Loop. Um, people were talking about real-time payments coming out in the next two years. We're we're now coming up on 2024, and there's still no real-time payments in Canada. They've yeah. had real-time payments in, in the UK since, uh, I, I don't know the exact year, but probably early 2000s. So we're talking like, you know, 20 years later, still no real-time payments. But isn't that not an, an aspect of innovation, but more one of regulation in the sense that the banks make money off of holding money? Mm-hmm. So by collapsing the time that they're holding that money, it kind of threatens the leverage that they internally use to make profit. Uh, for sure, it yeah, also. I mean, I'm simplifying yeah. things, but yeah, no, that but I, it, it, simplification is good, and I think that that really does articulate the point in, in its simplest form. You're right. You know, as if I was a bank, I also wouldn't want 
to make it easier for people to move money out of mm -hmm. my account, right? Yeah. Um, Not without a good stack of really differentiated products where you're making money in a hybrid fashion. But like you said in the beginning, banks are fundamentally core focused. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you're hitting the nail on, on the head in terms of understanding why things exist the way that they are. Right. And so there has to be an unnatural push to move us out of that. And so like you're looking at the UK, they've come out with new policies and new regulations to enable competition. Mm -hmm. So they came out with a framework to allow what are referred to as challenger banks. So if you and I wanted to go and start a bank, we could actually do that in the UK. So we could go wow. go over there. I mean, I'm oversimplifying Let's do a bit, it. but but we we could actually start a bank. You can't really do that in Canada. You'd need you know yeah, hundred yeah. million dollars to to do that. Plus, in um, terms of liquidity ratio, like like the whatever you call that, what's yeah. that called? Yeah, Your, the amount that the bank needs to have reserve ratios, reserve. liquidity ratios, and um, you're you're it's in terms of that, but it's also in terms of your compliance infrastructure. So. One of the big things with financial regulation in general in Canada is we're not particularly good at what's called proportionate regulation. Mm -hmm. So we basically say, like, if you're the largest bank in Canada, RBC, you know, you are going to be regulated under the same scrutiny as a bank that is, you know, one hundredth of the size of, of that bank. Right. Yeah. So then that's a competitive barrier for entrance. Yeah. Um, oh, we got to spend so much money to hire so many people to just fill out forms. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous because I think we're at a point where societally, the majority of people assume a level of infrastructure and infrastructural justification for the existence of the banks and the monopolies with which they hold. It's like people treat putting their money in the bank, not that that bank is a, they don't think of it as a public company or a private company or yeah. a company. They think of it as some sort of societal infrastructure. Yeah. Like it's, a, is, it's the government or something like that, right? Like people yeah. almost treat it in that, in that way. And You're in business right. communities, this was also kind of like a shockwave, you know, I think now this is of course talking more about the States, but with the yeah. recent failures of a couple of the banks, like Silicon Valley bank, a couple of our clients banked with Silicon Valley bank. Yeah. And what was interesting was, the shock that they had that suddenly their capital, which was really their startups who got the money from someone else, but like that money was threatened and it yeah. was like, well, we, we can't exist without that money because yeah. they had no real way to make money. They're yeah. venture backed. Um, yeah. It's very interesting because it was only in moments like that where people start saying, Hey, wait, you know, like this is actually not as safeguarded and it's not like we've, translate our cash yeah. into bullion somewhere and you know it can't be stolen because it's too heavy for sure and um, that the simplistic resolution to that is that people say oh i'll move it to a larger bank right like so yeah. that was like the the impulsive reaction right you could argue okay maybe that makes sense larger banks are, are more protected or quote unquote too big to fail but i think the real way that you should be looking at as a business owner mm -hmm. is like, how do I manage my own risk? You know, when you look at all other aspects of the business, right? If you look at how you're acquiring customers, how you're processing transactions for your business, how you're retaining customers, you don't just rely on a third party and say like, yeah, you know, like they're, they're going to take care of it, right? You don't like look at Shopify, for example, and say, I don't even need to know how Shopify works. Like, they're just gonna, you know, yeah. find me customers and run my business. That that's not how it works in any other part. Right. But for some reason, in in financial services, as you're right, I think we've we've been trained to be a little bit complacent and saying like, you know, I'm just gonna put my money here and trust it's okay. 
Um, now, I think that there is absolutely a need for trust in the financial system. Like, we can't have a system where everybody's just like freaking out and right. running around like it's the Wild West. But I do think that there is a measure to say, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, put some thought to how you're managing your money, where you're managing it. And I think that's ultimately a good thing for the industry because I think if people think about that critically, they'll actually move away from big banks rather than towards them, um, which is which is really what we want because we want more competitiveness because that will create better services at the end of the day for for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Okay, so let's go back to your story. Uh, your mom was a kid or your dad? <laughs> uh, dentist. Dentist. Yeah. That's interesting. You Still called no a cavities. dentist an entrepreneur because it's true, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, for sure. Well, ran his own dental practice, right? right. So I yeah. guess that's uh, not you know working in a practice would be different than running your own one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're interested in tech and interested in finance, and then so what was the I guess the the initial impetus for creating Lending Loop? Yeah. So, and what was Lending Loop in its first incarnation? I'm glad I'm glad you went back to the the beginning of the story. So yeah. as as I said, my parents are small business owners. Um, you know, the thing that stuck with me as a child was that when I saw them building their businesses, they had great businesses to me. Um, you know, they they were profitable, they made money. Um, but they, they weren't big. Their work, they probably? enjoyed their work. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was stressful, but you know, overall I would say positive. Right. Um, but when Dad they were coming home in the evening, <laughs> if I see one more molar, <laughs> I swear to God. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I used to sit there and sometimes in the practice and like, you know, look, look at people's teeth and, and do that myself. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was very much like, you know, one of those kids that was very integrated into it. Right. What's businesses. happening? Let yeah. me help out. Let me figure it out. Yeah. That's For great. Sure. That's great. Um, me too. but so they had great businesses, but on the other hand, when they needed access to capital or funding to grow their business, it was family and friends. Like right. It wasn't It wasn't a third party. It wasn't a financial institution stepping in to help. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you would go to them and they would they would put, you know, you with like a, an 18 year old, you know, student who would take a look at your business's finances and then ship it off to a back office team where it would basically never be seen again. The magic because they didn't box care. called underwriting. Yeah, <laughs> the magic box. Um, so... That really bothered me because going back to what does a bank do and what is the core of a bank, they're supposed to, you know, we just talked about how they don't do any of the other stuff well. Mm -hmm. But not only do they not do any of the other stuff well, they don't even do the taking money in and lending money out to people like small businesses well. Right. Which is what they were literally created to do. Like that's why banks were created was to essentially create economy, right? Mm -hmm. Like create the ability for people to access capital that wouldn't otherwise be able to access it. So that really bothered me. I thought there has to be a better solve for this mm -hmm. because if they're not doing their core function, somebody else needs to. Mm -hmm. So the original idea behind our business was what if we could create a way for businesses to more effectively access capital from the people who are putting deposits in the bank from just regular people who want to lend money to those businesses. So that was the idea behind Lending Loop was basically allowing people like yourself and myself to lend money to companies when they needed access to capital. Through the journey of running that business, we learned a lot, some good lessons, some bad lessons. Um, ultimately, you know, the problem with just being a lending business, and I think the banks know this too, and why they've built other services, is if you are just a lender, it's a very transactional business. You don't build a deep customer relationship. Right. And so that's what drove us kind of deeper into the financial services stack to say, how can we support small businesses beyond just access to capital? Mm -hmm. Right. So 
we we still do help with that. We still have products to enable businesses to get access to funding and capital, but we wanted to go deeper in solving some of the core things that they struggle with every single day in operating their business so that we could be more of a partner to them versus just a lender. So let's talk about that, okay? So yeah. uh, I'll make you repeat yourself a little bit, mm-hmm. but what are the main things that Loop is being used for? Yeah, so I'll give you like a very couple of like very clear examples. The first one is I'm a Canadian business. I sell to customers in the United States. Um, I need a U.S. bank account to, to be able to have money. the yeah. those customers pay me. Right now, there's very very challenging uh, processes to be able to open a bank account in the U.S. That's to right? receive funds not through Visa transactions or credit card. Correct. Right? So yeah. anything else, it's kind of like, ooh, what do we yeah. do? Or yeah. even even you might even be receiving money through like a Visa transaction or a credit card transaction. But then actually just getting that money out of your payment processor into a bank might be challenging, right? So for, let's, let's just use uh, an example. Let's say you're an Amazon seller, right? So I, I go on and I sell on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I just want to get my U.S. dollar revenue into a U.S. dollar bank account. And not lose on the Forex. And not lose on the Forex. Right? So not have it be converted back to Canadian dollars. And there might be several reasons for that. Maybe I want to you know, optimize my Forex. Maybe I have expenses in U.S. dollars, so I don't want to convert from U.S. to Canadian and then Canadian back to U.S. dollars. So I just want to earn my U.S. dollar revenue in the U.S. That is a problem that we solve for. So we basically will say, you can come to our platform. You can sign up digitally. You can get U.S. bank account details. So you can get an account number and a routing number. So when your customer pays you, you give them your loop account details, and that allows you to basically receive that revenue into this domestic bank account. So that's that's on money in. Mm-hmm. Um, we can basically help you get paid. And it's in how many countries? Today we are, do that in the U.S., the U.K., and all of Europe. Okay. Yeah. And Canada. And Canada. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. our our focus is interestingly, you know, like I was saying, domestic banking, you know, generally works okay. It's when you start to move money across borders that people really start to struggle. So our core value prop is on people who are either receiving money in those markets or sending money internationally. Right. So we can also send money. So that's that's money coming in. Now let's say, you know, I'm buying from a supplier in China because mm-hmm. that's where like, you know, maybe some of the inputs to my product come from. Sure. We can also help with that facilitation of the payment going outbound to China much cheaper, faster, and more effectively than if you did that through a bank or another provider. And uh the second example, tell me if this is correct. Um credit cards. Mm-hmm. Multiple credit cards. Yeah virtual credit cards, physical credit cards. Like for example, yeah. the use case for us, my barista down at front desk is, uh, you know, he needs to buy milk all the time. Yeah. And our regular drop off for the, that I get post billed for, for the espresso company won't do dairy product, you know? So <laughs> they'll drop off the oat. So he needs a card to be able to run across the road or wherever to get the milk from. Yeah. Easy if I have a loop card. Correct. And a loop card or an account Tell me about the functioning of the account versus the card, especially the virtualized ones. Yeah. Um, and how you can move money between them and think of it differently than just a credit card that's accruing interest. And yeah. where does the interest go and how can I sidestep it? For sure. So let me uh, kind of explain why we why we created that credit card product. So yeah, that, that was going to be, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that was, you, was you, that number you, two? That was number I two. I won a prize. So you, yeah, you win. <laughs> um so yeah, n- number two was or is this this multi currency credit card that we created. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started to hit on some some of the several features that that are key features that people reasons people use the product. At its core, the big problem that exists with credit cards today is they are single currency cards. 
So if you have a card from your bank, mm -hmm. that card, if you use it in any other currency, will convert that transaction into Back. Canadian dollars. Yeah. On average, the fee that banks charge on that is 5.7%. It's that high? Yeah. That's to the do, average to fee. do the currency exchange. Just just on currency exchange. Wow. So that just just to put that in perspective. That's ridiculous. Right. If you're a business and you spend a million dollars on your card in a year, which is reasonable for for a business, yeah. like some businesses will spend a million dollars, mm -hmm. you will lose almost sixty thousand dollars just on card fees. That's it, and, and wow. that alone. So that was like the core problem that we solved for originally because we would talk to these same types of businesses. You know, I'm selling in the US or I'm selling in Europe or the UK. So I'm doing this, these cross-border transactions. And I also have expenses in those currencies. Mm -hmm. And when I use my card to pay in those, those currencies, my transaction gets converted. I lose a significant portion. So we came out with this idea of like a multi-currency card. Mm. Um, which basically would allow people to spend money in those different currencies, but also pay the balance back in that same currency that you spend. They're not in. losing on the... There's no FX. Wow. So it's funny because there's also, you may have heard of these cards called no FX fee cards. Like sure. you sometimes see them advertised, like, you know, no FX fees. Right. There's on still a two and a half percent fee on the on no FX fee card. Yeah, so it's all like that, no, no, it's not for the FX, but it's a service fee. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> so we've taken it from five point seven down to two point five percent, but you're still actually paying a fee on, right. on those cards because there's there's all these embedded fees in the transaction, right? So it's very opaque. So then, how does Loop make money, and what's yeah. what's the like what's the basis of your business model? For sure. Um, so you know, on the card, I'll just just finish Santa Claus, that. yeah, <laughs> or Robin Hood. <laughs> um, so yeah, on the card, for example, what we do, you know, like I said, is you can spend in US dollars and repay in US dollars. Mm -hmm. So tying it all together, you have a US dollar account with Loop, you yeah. have a US dollar card with Loop, you, you, you get revenue into a US dollar account, you can use that money to pay off your US dollar card, and you've basically eliminated lots of different fees because you've eliminated the conversion fees of the money coming in as well as the money going out. So that's about 8% uh, right. of fees that you've eliminated. Right. How we make money is we, we say we don't need to make 8% for this to be worthwhile. Yeah. Um, so we know that if you're earning money in US dollars and you're a Canadian business, you're probably going to still have foreign exchange associated with your business. Mm -hmm. But we charge 0.5% instead of charging 8%. So we just charge a much more reasonable fee. And the way we're able to do that is it's all digital. It's all, you know, there's no no individual, the way the banks are still doing it in most cases is you're actually going into a branch and, and you're having somebody manually key in your your wire transfer that you're sending internationally. Right. We've built a platform that allows companies to do that all digitally. So the cost basis of making 0.5% actually makes sense for us. But what's um, this powered by? Like, what's the, is it on a platform? Is it is it through a Visa's API or something? So we've built our own platform. Okay. Um, and essentially we've plugged into bank networks around the world. And so what's really cool about like what Swift. we do, Swift is one of them, okay. but we also plug into a lot of local networks. And what's really cool about that is, let's say right now you went to go send money to someone in the UK. Mm -hmm. If you went to your bank and did that, that would be a Swift transfer. They would charge you a $50 fee. Yep. Someone would manually enter it, which is very error prone. Like there's a lot of issues with Swift oh, transfers yes. because like the, you know, the person might mess up the, the account details and all this stuff. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of issues with respect to sending international wire transfers and cost. Mm -hmm. What we do is we have your money here in Canada. So you have Canadian dollars with us. You're sending it to somebody in the UK. What we will actually do is we will take your money locally in Canada, 
move it in the background locally to the UK, and then send it through the local UK payment network. So instead, there's no SWIFT involved in that transaction. We've taken the money from you locally here. We've moved it over to the UK and then sent it locally but over Have there. you moved it or are you doing a kind of a, like an IOU system? Because uh, this yeah. is like how it was explained to me how Zoom yeah. used to work. Yes. Or Zoom works with yes. PayPal bot, right? It's a si similar concept to that for sure. Yeah, which is like you have a lot of different transactions and we work with vendors in the background to get volume as right. well, right? Okay. So that like they're aggregating the volume of not just Loop, but also, you know, like let's say a hundred other companies that are doing some type of cross-border transaction for mm -hmm. some reason. So what happens is, yeah, it, it exactly is, is what you're getting to. You, you might be moving money from here to the UK. Somebody else is moving money from the UK back to here. So all those transactions offset. And so the actual amount of money that needs to get moved is is minimized because you're kind of creating a market yeah. um, for, for transacting, right? And that's all digitally calculated in your platform. Yeah. I mean, so again, we work with third parties as well okay. on that. So some of that, you know, we're transacting on ourselves. Some of that we're working with third parties on uh, mm -hmm. in terms of helping facilitate. But what you need to know as like a Loop customer is I click a button and my money gets sent to my customer my, my vendor in the uk instantly through their local payment rails so in the uk they have instant payments so we can actually facilitate wow. an instant payment from canada to the uk through our platform with zero fees with no fees 0.05 well only if you're exchanging money so the mm -hmm. so that's only the the 0.5 percent is only if if you are exchanging from canadian to british pounds but let's say you have british pounds with us no fees at all like you can basically receive the money and send it. What are the other functions that Loop is looking to add yeah. in the next little while to the customer experience? Yeah, so I mean, I would basically define what we do um, into four categories. Um, the first category is accounts. So being able to actually have money stored with us, like using us essentially as a place to store money yep. um, in Canada, the US, the UK, Europe, and, and hopefully more markets in the future. So that that's category one. Category two is accounts receivable. So mm -hmm. I mentioned like you can actually have somebody send money into these accounts. So if your customer wants to pay you, they can put money into your Loop account. We also now support the ability for you to pull money from your customers. So let's say you want to lose, lose Loop to invoice a customer. So you have a customer in the US that owes you, you know, $25,000 because you have a contract with them and right. they have to pay you, you know, $2,000 a month, you can actually use Loop to collect that money. So we will pull that money from that customer on your behalf as well. As a bank to loop transaction. It's a, exactly. It's like a bank to bank transaction. Okay. Um, much cheaper than a credit card transaction, obviously, which you know is on the like three percent on average. Right. Here we're talking at, you know, somewhere between kind of zero point one and zero point five percent as a fee. So a much cheaper way to collect money. Yeah. So that that's all in accounts receivable. Then you've got accounts payable. So that's like, you know, accounts receivable, money coming in, accounts payable, money going out. Right. That would be all the examples we were talking about. A credit card is a version of accounts payable. So I'm using a card to, to pay people. Mm -hmm. It could also be I'm sending a local payment in Europe, the UK, sending it to somebody in China, in Africa, in South America. That would all fall in that category of accounts payable. Yeah. So basically the way to think about that is we want whoever you need to pay, whether it's an, a contractor, an employee, somebody who's giving you supplies for your, your your business, somebody who's selling you inventory, we want to make it as easy to pay them as possible. So you can use our platform to literally click a button and send your, your supplier's money through yeah. us. And then the last part is foreign exchange. So oftentimes in the process of receiving money, sending money, managing money, you'll need to exchange between your different currencies. And we want to make that possible in the cheapest way imaginable. So we want to make it possible for you to do foreign exchange at a fraction of the cost 
that it would take uh, or would charge if, if you're using one of the big banks to do it. But fundamentally, that should all be for the customer. That should ideally be automated. So it's like, yeah, just like make it as cheap as possible for me. I'm not going to think about what account things come in and out yep. of. So that'd be amazing. You got it. And we also, you know, so the other big thing that we have started building out is integrations, right? Mm -hmm. So integrations into your sales channels, integrations into your accounting system. So if you use QuickBooks or Xero and you want to integrate your loop data with that data mm -hmm. to make the payment information flow more seamlessly between them, you can do that as well. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty integral, especially yeah. for e-com transactions. Like we do this on a small scale, but actually a lot of our customers pay us with, with Visa. A lot, right. in fact. Yep. So we're that case example that you mentioned that's earning like a million dollars on visa transactions a year and paying so much out in fees. Yeah. Uh, and we use Stripe yep. for the ease of use and the integration points. But my bookkeeper, who's a little old school, hates it, right? Because we get clumped transactions into yeah. the account. So he has to backtrack and unpack what that clump is, which yeah. is like manual work. It could probably be programmed, but like... Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation that can even happen on the challenger fintechs that are being used already totally. for this sort of stuff. Yeah. So are you totally stoked to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very cool to create a product that people use every day um, and also to have this goal of helping businesses actually grow, right? Like the, the most fulfilling right. part of what we do as a team, you know, the thing that we get fired up about is mm -hmm. like when we see the money that we save a company and how that allows them to invest in actually growing their business. And so when we see our customers revenue double or triple in a year after using our product, that's what gets us really excited. So, you know, I was speaking to a customer yesterday and, you know, they, or prospective customer, and I was like kind of like a sales call and they were like, you know, I've had all these requests uh, to use our product in the US, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm actually, like I, I'm, they, they only currently are in Canada and they sell to restaurants in Canada. So they're in the restaurant space. And like all these restaurants in the US are actually asking to use our product, but I can't, I have no way to do that because I, I can't actually like invoice them or collect that money locally in the US. So your platform is about to unlock a huge revenue opportunity that I just couldn't get access to before because my bank would not That's enable me to get That's exciting for sure. Yeah. That is exciting. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about because we always think of microtransactions and credit card yeah. payments. But for anything large, no one's going to pay you. Like we found that anything larger than $5,000, people will not pay with a credit card. For sure. Or they'll have to juggle to get someone, you know, if it's a corporate client, they're yeah. going to get the boss, 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 boss. Super boss has to give his like beautiful you know, <laughs> black card yeah. that has the limit unlocked. But then that's also another side, the flip side, which is what you're facilitating, which is these virtual cards, I think, is, is quite a fascinating accounting yeah. mechanism. For sure. Because using Loop, I could spin up a card for any account that I want to see transactions clumped into. Yeah. Uh, and then lock the availability of credit on that card. Correct. Also, is that virtual card available on uh, an app to like tap on a payment terminal? Uh, app is coming. So we, yeah. I mean, we have, we obviously have physical cards, so you can tap that, that on the payment terminal. And then the virtual cards right now, basically you are used for e-commerce transactions. So you can use those cards like to buy on Amazon or yeah. pay for Facebook ads or any of that type of stuff. Um, so we don't have an actual like mobile app just yet. It's kind of physical and virtual, but to your point, um, I mean, it, it is coming. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for that. But, um, on, on the card product, 
there's a lot of solves there. Like you said, like you can use that for team management. So we have a lot of people that will create cards for team members, create cards for departments. So, okay, like I want to create a card for my marketing team, uh, for travel expenses, for food. So, it, and, and your bookkeeper will love that because mm-hmm. now they look at the transaction data and it's all like pre-categorized yeah. right away, right? So it exactly. kind of shaves their time by a lot. So that that's kind of one big solve. The other thing you were talking about credit limits. Um, most business owners still use a personal card for their business. And the result of that, uh, there's a lot of complexities that that, that gets created and might impact your personal credit and stuff like that. So when you're going to buy a house or whatever, they'll be like, what's this card that you're spending, you know, $25,000 on a month? And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's for my business. So you've got to explain that generally. But even aside from that problem, a lot of personal cards cap out from a limit perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I was talking to, to another customer yesterday, fast growing business, um, really awesome apparel company. They were paying their credit card off every two days because they were putting so much spend on their card That's as their so business was growing. And they had and to just keep paying it and paying it and paying it. Yeah. Right? And I've even talked to our big bank uh, in the past about saying, well, what if I just give you a bunch of cash like to de-risk? the availability of credit like i'm using my own money now it's a debit card you know (laughs) yeah and they're like no we can't we don't work that way so like, well how how through you am i firstly getting this like multi-card thing they just don't do it the banks just don't do it which is a nightmare and then uh and then yeah raising credit limits like my personal credit limit on my one of my cards is like six times what the businesses is yeah you know and it doesn't make sense whatsoever totally um yeah it, it's 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 wild that like still you know if you're a small business even running you know a multi-million dollar business that the way they're setting credit limits for you is based off of your, your personal credit score but that right. that's where we are and it goes you know we've, we've kind of repeated on this subject a bit but yeah. you know banks are not focused on solving for that segment and that's that's why we exist because we want to actually solve for financial services for that segment of the market so do you have a play to work with the banks at least in canada uh, we do work with banks, actually. So I, I guess when I'm talking about this, I'm actually more talking about like the large banks that mm-hmm. under service. Uh, a lot of the smaller banks, like so the non-big five banks. Um, credit unions and stuff. Yeah, credit unions and, and smaller banks definitely have an appetite and an interest to service this market, but maybe don't have the technology infrastructure or don't have the reach to actually service them. So we we do work with banks today and actually how, how our products exist and are facilitated is through banks. So mm-hmm. we cannot be a bank ourselves. I was talking about like in the UK, maybe we could, but in Canada, we can't. And so we rely on our bank partnerships to be able to provide the services that we actually offer to to customers. But unfortunately right now, the, the largest banks are not interested in partnering on that. It's really the kind of the smaller ones. But I think over time, you know, with, with regulatory changes and policy changes, um, hopefully that changes because as more people recognize that this is what's good for small businesses and small businesses is what grows our economy, there'll be more of a conscious effort to want to unlock mm-hmm. more competition in that space. Yeah, no, I mean, even employment, right? This was a stat that came out of the pandemic in 2020 was that the the bulk of Canada's, outside of government, the bulk of Canada's uh, employees were employed by small business. Yeah. And then there was all that, you know, the questions around how small businesses were, you know, supported politically through the pandemic and the crisis of uh in a way of how we saw a lot of businesses close through the pandemic just because of a little bit of this like yeah yeah 
and that, that, that they needed. And then jobs going yeah. away. Yeah. And then this constant question of like, well, how can you audit accurately unemployment in today's world where employment is for an hour or a, a day? Yeah. The, the, the publicly available government stats are not accurate, you yeah. know? So it's very interesting. Yeah. Small, small, medium-sized businesses really are the, the lifeblood of the economy. Uh, and the source of, of, of kind of employment at large, I would think, especially as large companies are downscaling yeah. uh, with efficiencies of software and AI and everything. Yeah, I mean, the the, the stat, you know, 90% of the private sector are employed by small and medium-sized businesses. So say, that, say that stat again? 90% uh, of the private sector workforce, meaning non-government workforce, right. are employed by small or medium-sized businesses. So, crazy. So the largest... Businesses actually, as as big as they are, only employ ten percent uh, of the private sector workforce. So that see, but those guys yeah. make more than us. So you know, they get they get their voices are louder. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> no, but I th so I think it's very exciting. And, and to this note, I I have to ask, how is Loop reaching customers? At least in Canada, like how are you um, getting in front of all of these SMBs that are yeah. no doubt operators are of course concerned with day to day. Um, they're looking for solutions, but they don't know how to procure them. Yeah, this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. No, we've been fortunate. We really have quite a organic kind of word of mouth type of growth trajectory. Okay. Cool. Um, we solve so many of these pain points. Like we, you know, even in the the time we've been talking, we've kind of jumped around from cards to getting paid in other countries to making payments to getting access to capital, right? Like those to, to managing foreign exchange. Mm -hmm. All of these different things at its core are what banks are supposed to do, but but really underservice small businesses on. And so the net result of that is we have customers who have really gotten to love our product. Nice. And we get a lot of referrals, a lot of Business owners know other business owners and mm -hmm. they tell their friends and their family about our product. And that's really how we've gotten a lot of our growth so far um, in our story. Um, obviously, you know, there are marketing efforts that that we run mostly kind of through through digital marketing and things like that to kind of drum up some interest or awareness. But ads. those yeah, are ads, digital yeah. ads. Okay. But but most of I'd say, you know, that's only a, a small fraction, you know, call it like ten percent of, of where our user bases come from. Hmm. Uh, most of our user bases come from um, the organic word of mouth referral type of stuff. Um and so that's that's sometimes it's small business owners, but sometimes it's also people like accountants. Right um, or agencies who might work with small business owners who use our product and say, "Hey, I'm using this great product. I'm saving on multi currency. You, you know, check it out." Or, "Hey, can I use Loop to pay you?" Right. Because if if you use Loop to pay somebody else, then that person also learns about uh, about Loop, of course. right? Or vice versa. If you're using Loop to invoice your customer, they learn about Loop and they might say, "Oh, this is really cool. Why don't Why don't I use it to invoice my customers as well? It seems like a way better solution." Yeah. That's brilliant. I always love hearing stories of companies that grow organically that way because the strength ultimately of your relationship, of your brand, your relationship with your customers, when it's at the point that word of mouth is reliable as a, a means of growing and, and uh, finding new customers, you know you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the customer is why we do it. it it's 100. There's no other reason why we exist. Um and so, you know, from a, we want to be the exact opposite of a bank when it comes to customer service. There's no like, you know, call through like those call prompts where you press like eight different buttons. There's no like, Get send us an email yeah. and, uh, and and we'll reply in, the, in right. two weeks. Um, like I will, I will pick up the phone and I will talk to any customer, you know, 
directly myself if they need if they need support from me. And that's like the approach and mentality that we have as a business is we are fundamentally different from a customer service and success perspective mm-hmm. than how traditional financial institutions operate. And so, you know, it's here here on this podcast. If someone's listening to this and they want my number so they can call me about a, right. a customer service issue, I'm I'm ready to pick up the phone and, and have a conversation. And that's fun, you know, that that's breaking the cycle of I think how people historically view the way that they interact with financial institutions. Nobody's picking up and right. you know, picking up the phone and calling the CEO of TD or RBC or, yeah. or BMO, right? Yeah, he's on the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, Also on that note, what is the composure of your team and how does growth look for Loop in the next couple of years? Yeah, um, I mean, we're hyper-focused on company growth, uh, meaning like the number of companies that we service right now. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're like I said, really benefited from a lot of organic growth uh, to date. Um, you know, we're only about kind of a year and a half now mm-hmm. into the journey of actually offering the product that we offer in terms of kind of banking and payments, right? Mm-hmm. As I said, like the original business was in lending and we've kind of diversified into that. So, you know, we're we're really in that early stage hybrid growth mode. Um, you know, we're adding, you know, another 5 to 10% Um to our user base every single month. So we're, we're, we're definitely growing that quite nice. rapidly. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're making investments as well as a team. And in terms of, you know, growth and, and hiring is we want to kind of bring in people to help us get the word out there about Loop mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that more small businesses know who we are. Because when people discover us, uh, I'd say it's, it's from my past, it's one of the easiest products I've ever solved because right. The, the pitches will save you time or money, right? Like, yeah. so it's a- it's Either a, way you win. Yeah, it's, it's a win-win solution. The, the, you know, a question that people ask me often, I'm finding is like, what's the catch, right? Yeah. Like, like this sounds too good to be true. Like yeah, what's, what's the catch? everyone's used to snake oil salesman. Yeah. Um, snake oil salesman and also, you know, hidden fees with banks. Like right. everyone is used to like, there's some hidden charge here that you're not telling me about. Like, where's the hidden charge? Like I've got to kind of go with a magnifying glass and find it. Yeah. So that that's the focus right now. Um, and yeah, we're definitely just excited about, you know, getting the word out there and having as many small businesses in Canada sign up to our product and, and use us and help those companies unlock their future growth as well. Nice, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending time talking with me. It was a pleasure having you in the studio and hearing, you know, about the kind of little bit of the foundation, a little bit of kind of like what's going on in the uh, fintech space through your lens and where you see the need for innovation for SMBs. And I'm definitely sure a lot of our audience will enjoy this episode. Um, You did say that you'd pick up the phone if they called. So what uh, if there are any kind of like, you know, shout outs that you want to give or contacts that you want to give um, to the audience who are looking to learn more about Loop uh, or looking to get involved with you guys somehow? For sure. Go for it. Um, yeah, so I mean, our, our website is getloop.ca, mm-hmm. um, so get and loop. Um, and if anyone wants to connect with me directly, um, check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the, the easiest place to find me. So my name's Kato Pastel, C-A-T-O-P-A-S-T-O-L-L. Um, so connect me with there, uh, and we can definitely jump on a, a call and chat further. So uh, cool. I'm, I'm here and ready to chat with whoever wants to chat. Right on. Thanks, mm-hmm. man. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.